The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Hope you're having a great week se- uh, weekend so far. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Good Mitch. Morning. Good morning, so guys. obviously, uh, the big story of the week last week, interest rates uh, going up. I guess we predicted this. We knew it was going to come in some form or not. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this as we move forward, Don? Well, it's it's coming to a close, you know, and this is why do I say that? It's because the it, there's an inverted yield curve right now. And for those that don't understand that, which would be, I would think the majority, because until you start reading, what the heck is an inverted yield curve? It's not something we come across very often. It is when the short-term interest rates are are higher than the long-term interest rates. And right now, this is absolutely very, un, I would say, not normal, is the two-year rate is actually 1% or slightly above 1% above the 10-year rate for the government bonds. And so why is that? Well, basically... There's a lot of people. The, the bond market, first of all, is twice the size of the stock market. So, the, you know, this is money that is lent to whichever. The, so the government's now lending uh, money or, or actually we're borrowing and there's investors that buy these and the trade interest. So they are now saying, OK, I'm going to actually get less interest on a 10 year bond and tie my money up for 10 years than I am if I just lock my money up for two years. Totally opposite. Now, why? Because they're predicting the future that interest rates will be lower. And they're thinking it's a pretty good deal. And so at the end of the day, this is uh, this is generally an inverted yield curve is a prediction of a recession. And it's generally very accurate. And so if if interest rates are going to be lower in the future, that also means they expect inflation to be lower. And these all go hand in hand. And this, by the way, the U.S. is in the same boat. We're really just an extension of what's going on in the U.S. They're right now their two year bond rate is a 0.8% higher than the 10-year bond rate. So again, when you're looking at interest rates, this is the whole thing. They're trying to combat inflation, and this is hence why they're increasing interest rates as we speak. But interest rates also play a big factor in what we're seeing every day right now in the real estate market. And the question is, for a lot of people right now, should you rent or should you buy? That's Yeah, thanks for that. That's an interesting thought. I know lots of people with variable mortgages. <laughs> or people who are just trying to get in the renting market and they're seeing all the landlords that are having to really charge a lot more because of interest rates rising. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of places, rents been going up consistently with interest rates. Actually, there's places all of the average in some cities are 2,500, sometimes 3,000 at this point. And it's just, it's getting pretty crazy because of all these interest rate rises. And I know we get a lot of clients who are in variables or, or colleagues or friends that are in variables asking what they should be doing. And it's it's a it's a tough go when interest rates are rising so rapidly. But uh, should you rent or should you buy is really a good question. Uh, it comes up every year whether the housing market's really hot or whether it's slowing down a bit, like it has been this year. So, which is the better choice? You've probably heard that it's always better to buy when you can afford to do so. But the truth is that it depends 
there are many times when renting is in fact the better option, even when you have the down payment completely saved up for, and you've also thought about all the other costs that it's going to cost you to be a homeowner, whether that's maintenance costs, uh, property tax, or uh, any of the other costs that your landlord would be covering if you rented. So important point to consider here uh, is becoming your own landlord by buying a home might sound great, but it certainly, it does have its pros and cons. For many, the big plus is not having to deal with another landlord who might find a reason to evict you or other issues like renovations occurring. Uh, however, this may mean that you, uh, you, if a hot water tank bursts, you're not going to be the one who has to pay for it. So sudden maintenance costs often come as an expensive surprise to new homeowners. And there is a rule of thumb called the 1% rule. This basically says that you should set aside 1% of your home value per year to pay for some sort of maintenance cost that comes up. So if you if you bought a $500,000 home, you should be putting aside $5,000 per year for repairs and other expenses to maintain your home's quality. And this might be different for new homes versus old homes. Old ones typically will have more issues and you might have to set aside more than a new home. But and it, it's also a year to year basis as well, it's because uh, rule of thumbs, they're not they're not going to be super accurate. Uh, it's just a nice thing to have a thought in mind there to put something aside, because there there's so many things that happen, whether it's a water tank, uh, septic tank, uh, any sort of thing that's going to come up. I, I had a client actually recently, uh, they did the exact same thing. They sold their house and they rented thinking, OK, we're going to just wait this out for a bit. We, they, and Sure enough, there was a windstorm and shingles came off and hmm. and there's a lot of a fair bit of damage done to the house. And we've seen these climate events take place. Well, they're thinking, well, it's a good thing I didn't own that house at that time. Now the landlord has to come and pay for somebody to clean this up, refix the roof. And it was wasn't their thing. And it's said, wow, that was good timing on that part. So, and it's so also uh, also a good time to remember if you do decide to do the purchase route, as you were saying, Mitch, depending on how old the home is, a new build, don't necessarily have to worry about this. But as they get older, uh, you don't know what's in behind those walls. And I know a lot of people sometimes drop an inspection as one of the conditions to buy a home. And, you know, what you're alluding to, it's it's one of those reasons why you should make sure you if it's a, an older home, you get an inspection done of some sort. So at least, you know, if there are some underlying issues there. And, and to your point, Scott, nobody had that luxury during COVID to do that. Yeah. Because it was a feeding frenzy. You couldn't mm -hmm. put a condition on to buy a house. You'd never buy a house. Yeah. Now things have finally settled down and you can make a very well-informed decision. Should you rent? Should you buy? What's the best for you at this stage? Yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't only not get an inspection during COVID. Uh, the, the sellers wouldn't even allow you to put that on it because they had so many people trying to buy that it was just, you want an inspection? Not too bad. This person's offering more with no inspection. This is, but that's no longer the case now. Now you can do the due diligence. You can get inspections. There's the COVID's not the issue, and there's no huge bidding wars of with no no causes on it attached as well. So th this also might not be a year to year five thousand dollar one percent rule. It might be one year you pay a thousand dollars on that example, and the next year is nine thousand. And that averages out maybe to 1% of your home's value. So the rule of thumb is just a nice thing to kind of consider when you are buying a house, because a lot of people just assume, oh, I'm going to buy this house and then it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's not going to have any, so, too many added costs to it, maybe property tax and uh, the mortgage. 
but maintenance costs really do add up and they need to be considered, especially uh, your financial planner should really mention that to you when you are looking to buy a home, especially if you are a new home buyer because you've never experienced that before. You may have rented before. Uh, and another, sorry. And financially speaking, you know, again, it sounds like the old clash song, Scott. You Us boomers would understand that. Should I rent or should I go now? You know, or, or buy now. Okay. <laughs> and this is really, it's a big question. Financially, which makes the most sense? Um, and again, it takes a lot of discipline. The nice thing about a mortgage, you have to make the payment every month. Mm-hmm. And rent, and if you are saving money in rent, you then have to say, okay, I can take this extra money and put it aside. Now, I'm sure you've done the math here, Mitch. Which makes the most sense? Uh, that, that was a great song. I think you should really take up a new career here, Don. <laughs> For retirement. Uh, yeah, should I rent I, or should I buy now? Yeah. I, wow. I should tag the clash in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, an example of which is a better financial decision uh, could paint a different picture, uh, whether it's renting or buying. So if you let's say you take an $850,000 home, and you're going to put down 20%. So that's $186,000 down payment. And let's say example A, you put it in a non-registered account and it's earning 6% for 30 years. And that's that one scenario. And you're paying rent at an all-in cost of $2,500 a month. Versus buying this house, you put that down payment into the house and have roughly $3,600 monthly costs after you factor in property tax, maintenance costs, and every everything else that comes with home ownership. And let's say the house grows 3% annually for 30 years. And at the end of this 30-year mortgage, you're going to sell the house and you're also going to sell the non-registered account. And we're going to tax that at 53%. So we're, we're going to put that at the highest possible capital gains just to take the worst case scenario here. Of which you only pay half that tax rate. So it would actually be, I guess, 26% for capital gains. Correct. So you're going to pay half of the capital gains on that. So the non-registered account will be worth $2.25 million. And the proceeds of the home is going to be worth one point nine seven, which is about $300,000 in difference. So there is a case for each side. It's it, like, it's very emotional. If you want to own the house and you want the stability of owning this house, well, buy the house, it might not be the best, most sound financial decision. Uh, It really depends on the market. People in the last few years have been saying this, the best decision you could ever make, and you should be leveraging so much to do this. It's basically free money. The interest rates were under 2%. But now you have interest rates that are over 4%. You're seeing 4.6, maybe even get to 5% mortgages soon. And you're not seeing people leverage as high as they possibly can, pumping the housing market up. So it might be better to rent and as well as the difference between that rental cost of $3,500 mortgage and house costs versus $2,500 in the rent costs, that's $1,000 that you can be putting away per year for those years. So you could be putting away another $12,000 a year, which is also going to compound and make that $300,000 difference uh, significantly higher. And again, if it goes into tax-free savings accounts where you, there's it's a non-tax and you can split that between you and your spouse... Um, now you're getting all this tax-free growth on top of that. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're, and if you do have a an income that you should be putting into an RSP, you're also going to be able to put it into an RSP, which is going to deduct from your taxable income, which you're also going to be able to grow tax-free as well. So there are definitely some pros and cons to each of them here. Uh, 
whether it's emotional or if it's financial, it's a lot of older people. I like to call them boomers because of Don. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be buy buy your house. (laughs) It's, It's always buy the house. But financially, you should go over the numbers with your financial planner as well as your priorities instead of just having ingrained that you need that house and stability. Whether because financially it might not be the time and it long term it may not make sense. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Gonna take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972-7420. All right, Don, you're continuing with your financial tips countdown uh, right to the new year. And you know what? The big, the big one here is don't ignore inflation. You know, we we were just talking about interest rates and how important this is. And, you know, for for the listeners, okay, you know, 2% inflation versus 4% inflation versus 6% inflation, you know, it all, you know, those are just numbers, but what does it really mean? Well, it's kind of interesting. Let's say you were retired at, at 65, and you had an income of 50,000 a year. And at 2%, you know, that money would grow, um, that, those costs would grow rather. And at 75, you would need 61,000. Okay, you know, you expect a little inflation. By 85, you need 74,000. And by age 90, it would it would cost you 90,000 a year. Not sorry, at age 95. So you look at that 50,000 and you say, you know, expect, you know, slight increases throughout the year. And that's called inflation. And that's where we were. That was the 2% inflation rate that we were enjoying for quite a long time. In fact, there was times where it was under the 2% rate and they were actually trying to, you know, stoke the economy a bit to get the inflation rate a little bit higher. So what if inflation was 5%? Well, that $50,000 at age 65, okay, we all start at the same level. But by age 75, you need 81,000 a year just with a 5% inflation rate. That's 81,000 a year versus 61,000 a year if you only had 2%. Well, by age 85, believe it or not, you'd be up to 132,000 a year is what you would need to have the same lifestyle that 50,000 a year was just 20 years ago. Again, now it's almost double because if you only had 2% inflation rate, you would need 74,000 a year under the previous example. And by age 95, you would be up to $216,000 is what you need to support that same $50,000 a year uh, lifestyle at age 65. Inflation matters. It's one of the biggest, it is the biggest cancer in everybody's portfolio. And you could only imagine if you do not have an index pension, like most people don't, where are you gonna get this extra money? Is that going to come out of your investments? Well, then, if that's the case, how long are your investments going to last? And I know Mitch and I, we do the LPP. It's a financial planning tool. We increase inflation by a half percent, and it has way larger impact than a market crash or increasing lifestyle and other things. Inflation is a key. 
So don't underestimate, you know, the power of, of the inflation. And therefore, if you're going to have inflation, which we are, make sure you have an investment portfolio that grows over time. Actually, the most interesting thing though with the LPP is if you increase inflation by half a percent versus decreasing the rate of returns by 1%, it's actually worse for their scenario if the inflation is increased by half a percent versus the rate of return being decreased by 1%, which I always yeah. found so interesting that how much more the inflation affects the plan than the actual rate of return. And, and this software is, is absolutely incredible. It does so many things. It factors in the tax tax rates, you know, income splitting, starting OAS um, at 65, maybe starting it at, at uh at 70 um, or CPP for that matter, both of them. But again, it comes down to what is your real rate of return? So when you're looking at rates of return and you're saying, well, I can now get a GIC at say four and a half percent for five years. It is an excellent rate, by the way, compared to where they were. But inflation is also greater than that right now. So you're actually losing to inflation. The long term, you have to look at the asset allocation and what has beat inflation over the long haul. What allocation is the best for you? That's what your financial planner should be going over with you to make sure that you're taking into account inflation. I can't see, I can't be strong enough on, on how important inflation is in, in terms of your overall retirement planning. Now, number many, I don't even know what number at anymore. It's been so long we've been doing this list, but you know, be aware how biased an investor you are. It's, it's actually interesting. We're all human. And I've often said we're not wired to make money. In fact, you know, Carl Richards, there's a lot of what they call behavioral investors out there. And Carl Richards is one person I follow. He does some great pieces for the New York Times and he has uh, visuals. And the, the one is called Behavior Gap. If anybody wants to Google Carl Richards or Behavior Gap, you'll, you'll see some of those um, column diagrams that he does on napkins. And he's done quite well. He used to be a financial planner and he's kind of gone into training the field, if you will. So. But again, there's so many human elements that go into investment planning. Money is emotional. Like, you know, it always is. It's, uh, and so, you know, things such as uh, Delbar reports go over this. And Delbar reports is, again, an unbiased U.S.-based firm that goes over what does an investor make versus what did the investments make. Well, they should do the same. If you put your money into an equity investments, the S&P 500, you should make the same rate of return um, over 30 years. Interesting enough, that has not been the case. They've, uh, they've actually, a 30-year return has been 7.13% for the investor versus the actual investments have averaged 10.65. That's a, a, you know, you're losing 33% of your return, not because of fees, not because of any of this. You're losing it because of behavior because of your personality, because of what makes you tick, you know, and again, the fear and greed that everybody goes through. And particularly, here's a great year to, as an example, you know, the market's been down. Well, it's down not a ton. It's down actually less than 10% right now. And when you go through it with a, in a questionnaire, it says, oh, this is simple. We can just go through a questionnaire and, and pigeonhole what kind of investor you are. It's a different thing when it's your money going down. It's always hypothetical when you see, you know, uh, if would your portfolio down 10%, could you handle that? Oh, of course I could, as long as the upside's great. Well, 
that's never the case when we've been doing this for a long time. We have a lot more conversations in down markets than, than up markets as far as investment performance. So there's a lot of things there. Um, confirmation bias. So what people do is they look for information that confirms their way of thinking. So if you like a certain type of stock, banks, or should you buy, is it good to buy, you know, the S&P 500 or should you buy Canadian? I like Canadian, whatever you'll find articles, especially Google, it will find things that agree with you. And then people will hold that up like a badge of honor. See, I'm right. And they'll invest in those things. And that's a confirmation bias. Um, information bias. <laughs> that we're overload with information. Trying to dissect information is virtually impossible. And this is why we have people like Philip Peterson, that simply his job is to look at data unemotionally and to try to predict what would be the best place or allocation given the time we're in now and given the history of what's happened in the exact similar, very similar types of scenarios. There's loss aversion. Well, we all have that, I'm sure. Okay. And, you know, the loss is an emotional, is double what a gain is from an emotional standpoint. We hate losses. We like gains. Okay. But hate's a lot stronger than like. Okay. And so it's, it's all right into our personality. Now, if you're a bit of a gambler, maybe that loss aversion isn't there. And say, oh, you know what? You absolutely love gains. Yeah, you can, you know, losses don't bother me. And that might be an issue if you go to the casino, okay? Because that's one of the people that get such a kick out of an adrenaline rush by making money or, or having that quick fix. We are not in that game. We are in the get rich slow game and trying to make sure that we accomplish our clients' goals to get to the promised land, which means they never run out of money and they leave an inheritance for their kids if that's something they want to do. It's making sure you accomplish your goals, okay? Loss aversion really is one of the biggest reasons why the Dalbor reports came out because people sell at the wrong time. They sell when it's down and they get caught up in the frenzy of the buy. And Mitch was talking about real estate. Tell me that wasn't um, a, a feeding frenzy. Okay. Whether it's stocks, whether it's investments or whether it's your house, when else was there 25 offers all above the ask price to buy a house? Okay, that now would sell about 25% less on average. That same house that was during that feeding frenzy back in January, February, or earlier this year. It's now you can buy that house 25% down. So again, the idea of real estate is an investment too, but it's nice to step back and have a financial planner that is looking at the pragmatic approach. What makes the most sense for your situation? And again, anchoring bias. Well, I... I put $100,000 into this. So I'm going to wait till it at least gets back. Or I bought this share of Bell Canada at X price. Um, I'm going to wait till it doubles and then I'll sell. Do you think actually Bell Canada or any of these companies actually know what you bought these things at? You're the one that set this price. You're the one that sank, anchored this worth to it. And it all is part of the human nature of trying to play a game based on what you paid for a stock or what you invested originally. So, at the end of the day, um, all these are, are all factors and these are all investment biases that will come into play. And again, this is where it's so nice to have that third party, because if you look at a lot of people who are saying, OK, well, I could go into passive management. I can go in index funds. <clears throat> well, that's great. Um, you're going to save fees. 
and you're going to be doing this on your own. But as Dalbar reports suggest, the average investor is, is losing a third of their, their performance simply based on um, emotion. Okay. So in, in establishing uh, benchmarks, it's all important. Create a benchmark. You know, we go through an investment questionnaire. It's, it gives you a bit of an idea, but it's not really, we ask a lot more questions. And because, you know, if you go to a, a say a bank as an example, they have to do the same kind of questionnaire. What's your comfort level? Well, depending on your mood that day, that could be totally different than what it was the next week. And that's not how you should be doing your investments based on your mood. So again, um, and then rebalancing your portfolio. So these are all things that go into a proper allocation. So annuities. Well, an annuity, you got to beware of annuities. They're, they, they're kind of like the easy button of investing. You put your money into them and you get so many dollars a month for the rest of your life. Isn't that pretty much the same thing as a non-index pension? It, it is 100% the same thing. In fact, what a lot of the companies do that do have a defined benefit plan, they simply take your lump sum and they buy an annuity at the end. This is not um, the index pensions like a government worker, but this is how a lot of them work. So again, a 30,000 a year pension will get you $2,500 a month. And let's say it was even 3% inflation, go back to the kind of normal levels, if you will, that 2,500 a month would be only worth 1860 a month in 10 years because of inflation. And that's what an annuity will do. Again, inflation will start eating away at the annuity. And in 20 years, your $2,500 a month is now $1,384 a month because of inflation in terms of its buying power. You'll lose 45% after 20 years at a 3% inflation rate. So these are all factors. Um, and again, do inflations make sense? Well, there might be a place for it. But at the end of the day, you, you got to make sure you're still beating inflation and make sure that growth rate. And again, putting it all into a plan, it might make sense. Again, this is where there's no right answer. I cannot or no financial planner can say, do not do this or make sure you always do this. It's not an ultimatum in financial planning. It's making sure it fits and does it work. And this is such a great exercise to go through. Now, talking about great exercise to go through, bring your kids into your financial decisions. Okay. And maybe I shouldn't say this with Mitch here listening right on the show. <laughs> If you noticed, I unmuted on that one. Let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But many clients have often said that children rise to the occasion and learn, learn from their involvement. So, you know, there is a huge financial literacy issue, period. It doesn't matter which country. And most of the time, if you can sit, if the kids, and we've had a lot of children sit in on appointments. Now, again, depending on the age, and it depends on how long they stay in the meeting too. And depending on the topic we're talking about, I can tell you right now that I've had a number of clients that had their kids sit in, and those kids have now grown up, graduated. Not a shock. They are totally involved in their financial affairs right now, and they are now clients of us. And I know Mitch is looking after a number of those right now because they're involved from the beginning. What is the best way to lure them into this discussion? Uh, I think I remember way back to my first meeting with a financial planner, and I think it was uh, him explaining compound interest. Is that a good starting point? 
how do you what, what's that first conversation like with someone who's new at this so they don't glaze over? I would say the very first one would just say money makes money. Yeah, it could like if you here's a thousand dollars. If you made two percent, that means you get this two hundred dollars. I'm sorry, two twenty dollars at the end of the year. Okay, and then Pete's like, "What? You really did just give it to you?" And you and that's just a start. Okay, so yeah, they give it to you because you've lent this institution money and you're getting whatever the rate of return is because you've lent it. And it's like, wow, I didn't even have to work for that. Absolutely. And I know that happened to me when my dad took me to my bank. I got my bank book updated. I think I might have had, I don't know, $80 or something. And I got this interest at the time. And I, it was like, why did they just give me money? It's like, start the car. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they just gave my, my bank balance is, is higher. Why is that? And again, I, my dad then explained interest to me. And it says, now that money, that interest is now actually making more interest on that interest. And that is really what compounding is all about. So that he really simplified it for me. And I'm at the age of, oh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I'm going to go with about age eight at the time. And this is, put it this way, the permanent was the trust company that was later taken over by Canada Trust, which has since been taken over by TD. So, you know, that gives you an idea for those listeners that remember the permanent when this happened. And it was actually when bank accounts actually paid interest too. Yeah, that was my second point I was going to bring up here was that, wait a sec, uh, you actually visibly saw a bank account growing in size. How does that happen? When was that? What year was that? <laughs> well before law, you know, online banking, well before and you had your little passbook, the old good old days. But at the end of the day, the banks actually gave you interest. And again, so having your kids involved in this really does um, not only help you to have conversations with them as you age and they'll they'll take over some of the ropes as far as in terms of a, a general power of attorney or you know talking about money and being real realistic we can't afford this or you know what we're taking a big trip i know it costs a lot of money but it's worth it and so they get it it's all part of it so this is a great idea to involve the kids and christmas is around the corner what a great way to spend your christmas dinner isn't it Oh, my. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Uh, Christmas savings and scam protection. Boy, this is a uh, confusing time of year, Mitch. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of both ways, but you're just trying to avoid uh, getting to that January 18th, which is apparently called Blue Monday. I did not know that until today. It's dubbed the unofficial most depressing day of the year. And the day is calculated using several factors such as weather. But the main reason is from debt levels. People start to receive their credit card statements from December. And for many, start to feel the blues because 
they got a little emotional during Christmas time. They got in the spirit and uh, they went wild. They leveraged their credit cards and they came in January 18th and they're, they're feeling the blues. So there are some ways to prevent the blues and the best and most preventive way not to feel this pain is unfortunately come and gone. This would be by spreading out your shopping throughout the whole year. But I know myself and many others do not even think about Christmas until December. Uh, my dad and I are actually on December 24th. We're there every year. <laughs> it's, it's a father-son event. We've done this from the get-go, and we run around the stores and figure out what we're going to get. It's, way to, it's way to pass down the custom there, Don. <laughs> it, it's, tra it's tradition at this point. <laughs> it's certainly a Christmas tradition right there. But it, it sometimes it just doesn't even feel like Christmas. It's it's not snowy outside. The year's really flown by. I can't believe it's already basically mid-December. And uh, lots of people, they get to crunch time and they just shop as quickly as they can. And they spend a little bit more than they thought. So one great way to avoid the financial holiday hangover by paying down your credit card balance before you start shopping. This will take the funds right out of your bank account so you see how much you have left to shop with. Uh, it can be very easy to swipe a little freely over the holidays. Like I said, people get euphoric and emotional during Christmas, uh, whether it's for the good side or if you're being a little grinchy. Those are two characteristics of a financial hangover recipe. Most credit cards have 20 to 25% interest rates on them. The last thing you want to do is leverage against that balance and actually have a higher balance than your, than your bank account. This is a very slippery slope. And paying the minimum is not going to get that interest rate, uh, those interest payments re reduced. You actually have to pay that entire credit card balance to get rid of those interest charges. So even if you paid down a majority of that credit card uh, for those gifts that you bought in December, you're still going to be paying interest on that because you haven't paid the entire balance. So you want to just pay that entire balance before you do and not overspend. That's the best way to avoid January, the, the Monday blues. But another way is to reflect on how you spent 2021 and how it worked out. Did you did you feel that pain in January or you were you successful and you didn't feel that pain of the financial hangover? Reflect on how you did last year. It'll give you a guideline on how planning how much to spend and, and on who. Maybe some older family members do not need as much of a gift as you did in previous years. What are you talking about, Mitch? <laughs> You're, you're you've you've got yeah. everything. You've got everything you need. What are you talking about? It's just junk now. Yeah. <laughs> another another one to do is search for online coupons. Lots of people don't do this, and it's I think it's very underutilized tactic. But if you find something that you want to buy before you hit the pay now button, go Google the product, Google promo codes, Google discount codes, and typically there will be something that comes up, and it might be small, might be ten percent, but at least that's better than nothing. And that could save you compounded over all the things that you buy for Christmas. It could be a significant amount. But as much as it is to save from how much you spend, you have to be mindful about the assets that you do have and to protect them. Scams are very, very popular during Christmas because especially with online shopping now, uh, cyber scams are at all time highs this time of year. I know I've already seen numerous ones on my phone, whether they're phone calls, texts or emails. And people are emotional during Christmas and they might be believing and a little less on guard because, well, they bought a lot of gifts. So they they have all these companies emailing them saying your, your, your box is at UPS. You have to pay money to release it. Your box is at customs. You have to pay money. It, there's so many different ways that they're doing this and they get 
they get pretty crafty, uh, whether it's a missed delivery notification saying that they tried twice and you have to give your ID to do that. Be, be mindful of things coming and double check to make sure that they're actually accurate. There's another one, uh, online shopping. So there, people are creating exact same e-commerce stores. So I'm not saying Lululemon, but it's a popular store. So if someone shops at Lululemon online, make sure you're actually using their website. There might be a fake one out there that looks the exact same. They're going to bring you to the checkout and they're going to basically either take your money or they're going to take your credit card information. And you're going to wonder why you haven't got your product or how someone's using your credit card. So make sure that it's the right website before you actually commit to paying and putting all your personal information online. And the last one that I have is make sure that uh, gift cards, people will call you and they'll either say that uh, you owe them money and you have to buy them a gift card and they'll relate it to some holiday uh, issue of some sort and just make sure that you're not buying gift cards from random phone calls and uh, protect yourself out there. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to end the show off with some more end-of-year financial tips for us, Don. Yes, and as you can see, each of these tips is a new conversation. These are conversations that we have with clients and and. I could just talk about one tip alone and say, okay, that w- that would be like a half hour conversation. And how does that fit into your plan? But right now, an advent calendar at this point, since you're doing December, just one a day, just like an advent calendar. It's, That's it. It could have been. <laughs> I don't have I, my chocolate yet. Where's my <laughs> chocolate? Well, the one here is review all your real estate. Sometimes we kind of get married to the real estate we have. And one thought is, let's say all of a sudden, or just pretend that all of a sudden all your real estate was cashed in and you now just have a pile of money. And you had to now decide, what do you buy back? Or do you buy back the exact same real estate you have? Do you buy, buy, buy back the cottage? Do you buy back the house where you're currently living? Does it make sense? Or is it simply you've just gotten comfortable and you just don't want to move, <laughs> okay? And so what? it's also a great purging exercise of saying, okay, if I move, I can get rid of a lot of stuff and it's a lot better to maybe do it now and accumulate even more stuff for 20 years down the road. So living abroad could be an, uh, an advantage. Maybe you spend your winters there. I know of clients that have one client that goes to New Zealand every year and they spend their, their winters there. Um, but again, check on healthcare to make sure you're, you've got all that coverage when you do go away and, and what restrictions you have. And again, healthcare costs or out of country medical costs do go up as time goes on. Um, one story living might be the right idea for you, whether it's a condo. But I have seen people move to a condo living and then within a year, they're back out to a house um, because it wasn't for them. So there might be a a way you could try it. Okay, but again, uh, it's a thought because you can have elevators um, or, you know, in your condo versus having a lot of stairs at your house as you age. But again, 
there's ways around that. There's these stair lifts that I've seen a lot of my clients use as they've, they've aged and it's worked quite well. Maybe you wanted to always try city living or maybe the opposite. Maybe you want to try country living. At the end of the day, it's, this is all your, this is your life and your house and where you live is a big impact on, on your enjoyment every day. Um, moving closer to grandkids, family and friends. Well, this is always a, an interesting one. I have seen people chase their kids around depending on where they move. Unfortunately, they don't, they're not tied to that area. So make sure, you know, have those conversations. Are, are you planning on staying, say, in Victoria for a while? Because you know what? We're looking at maybe moving and we like to be closer to the kids. And if no, no, it's only a two-year stint. Okay, well, you know what? We'll just go and visit you a few times. Even move to a university town. But at the end of the day, look at what you really enjoy doing and your hobbies. And if it's mountain biking or skiing or photography or what have you, and there's an area that might lend itself better to that than where you're currently living why not create that utopia for yourself so this is all real estate and again talk to your financial planner and see okay does this fit can we do this can we afford it now then there's also active retirement communities um some are kind of interesting some are like the whole spectrum they start off with um with you know some assistance, um, independent living rather, and then you go to assisted living and then eventually skilled nursing all in one location. So as you age, you kind of graduate to the different areas of that retirement home. Um, work again, go through your financial planner to work out your retirement plan, your tax plan, your state plan, look at the cash flow in your investments. This is all part of it. It's, it's all, it all makes sense. Can you do this? And and how does this fit? Will it jeopardize my retirement? Uh, can a pension and old age security? I know we've talked about that many times on when should we start that? What's the best year? What are the pros and cons of starting it early? What about old age security clawback? These are great topics to have with your financial planner. And can we income split? Um, maybe we should share the can pension plan between myself and my spouse. How much can I? So these are all, again, great topics. But I'd like to finish off with explore today's technology landscape. And as Mitch was just talking about, technology can lead to scams, okay, because now you might be vulnerable if you don't understand it. But again, technology, if you're not part of it, you've now abandoned a lot of people's lives. And it could be your, your kids or your grandkids, because now they'll probably want to just text you to make a quick comment. Hey, how's it going to grandpa and Send you, oh, you know what? I have to pick up the phone. Well, that's going to take me 15 or 20 minutes. I don't have that much time. I'll call him a little later or call her a little later. So it's amazing how young a person is based on their knowledge of technology. And it is a great indicator of, of how much enjoyment they will continue to get in their life because they want to be part of their kids and their grandkids' life. So with that, there is my, there is my checklist today on how to make you and your retirement that much better off. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. Have a great week. 
Thank you, Scott. You too much. Thanks, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.